This is the most lucid nah. conversation we've ever had. Shall we talk about Deadpool? <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> when we can discuss Deadpool, yes. Hi, right. everyone. Let's call the meeting to order. That's, that's my executive bell that I'm using today. Ooh. Ooh. Executive Ooh, the bell. executive model. Yes. Welcome to... Yes. Yeah, I, I uh, sprung for the upgrade. Um, you can hear it. Yeah. It's got that spring in it. No uh-huh. springs! Um, <laughs> uh, this is cinema. Where does spring fit into God's plan? <laughs> By the time they realize it's the same model, this pyramid scheme will have long collapsed. <laughs> this is Cinema Excelsior. Um, dude, do you want to correct my pronunciation? No, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> it's Cinema? You're probably right. <laughs> no, I, I. Yeah. Resume? It Excelsior! Excelsior! No, it's probably Excelsior. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It does, no, Kinema! 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 Kinema Excelsior! Kinema Excelsior! It is Kinema. This entire episode, I'm going to just. From this sentence Kinema. on, I'm going to be entirely speaking in mispronounced words. Mm-hmm. Uh, which okay. is. Which Today, we are here to talk about uh, Deadpool. Uh, we'll introduce ourselves going from digital left to digital right. We've got... Uh, no Dan- one can see us. <laughs> I can see you. Uh, we've got Daniel Watson-Jones. Hello. Uh, he'll be playing the part of Peter Swan. Uh, next to him, we have Mr. Derek Long. Hello! He'll be playing the role of... Uh, like... jo- <laughs> Your pepper pot voice? That was my Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> impression. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you'll be playing the part of Johnny Squares. Uh, next to him, we have Mr. Nick Bester. Hello! He'll be playing the... Po- <laughs> hey! Uh, that was play- my Derek Long impression. <laughs> Derek Long as Mrs. Doubtfire. As Nick, uh, Nick Bester will be playing the part of Harlan Rook. And next All to him, right. we have Patrick Regan. Hilo. Hilo uh, will be playing the part of Butcher Hicks. All right, I'm already bored with this mispronunciation thing. Yeah, none of these characters sound like characters. And I'm Stephen Claypool. I'll be playing the part of Inspector Al Kwan. And today we talked about The Deadpool, the 1988 American action film directed by Buddy Van Horn, starring uh, Clint Eastwood as Dirty Harry Callahan, his fifth go-around go in the role. What, 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 what? I was, I, was, I was thinking to myself, all these characters sound like they came out of a bad Agatha Christie novel. So that's about right. <laughs> what I expect from, from, yeah. from the fifth Dirty Harry movie. I'm sorry, I I, I'm literally just learning there are five Dirty Harry movies this exact oh, nanosecond. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was surprised and, it was the fifth. I was sure there were only four. I think there's only dead. three. I used to know someone who wrote one of the lines in Dirty Harry 5, but I can't remember what the line was. Just one of the lines? Is he, did he get Yeah, he, he knew someone who was doing a like, punch-up on it, essentially, and he contributed a line, and it ended up in the film. But I can't remember what the line was. He was an old professor of mine at community college. Just for reference, the, uh, the characters that I called out, so uh, Inspector Al Kwan is played by Evan C. Kim. He's Harry's partner. Uh, Peter sure. Swan uh, is played by a young Liam Neeson. Uh, Johnny Squares is played by a young Jim Carrey. And then uh, Butcher Hicks and Harlan Rook are, are just good names. Uh, this film also had Patricia Clarkson and a, uh, let's see, so Patricia Clarkson, Mark Alamo is in this. And oh, a, did, did a young, young Jim Carrey owns... play the baby hand? No, he played like a... <laughs> yes. So you're baby. telling me that two different Cardassians are in the Harry, are in the Dirty Harry. And oh, uh, a, an actually on-camera Charles Martinet is in this film. <laughs> 
Really? Yeah. They're, they're rare. It's a me. Spirits. Yeah. It's a me, Dirty Harry. How many <laughs> shots did I fire? Do I feel lucky, Go ahead. The make of my day. Do you think that the Deadpool's reference to how many shots he, he uh, fires is a reference to Dirty Harry? Derek? Uh, no. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, um, what, I, what I was going to say is uh, that's an interesting theory, but uh, the theatrical poster for the Deadpool, I think is my favorite theatrical poster for any Dirty Harry movie because it's pretty much just a gun and Clint Eastwood's face. I'm looking at it right now say, after getting well, slightly distracted that, by the I'm fact that... Say, that sounds kind of like faint praise to me. That's your favorite theatrical poster for a Dirty Harry movie. <laughs> of the There's only five of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just sort of it's the the essence of dirty. It's like you don't need to know anything else about this film. It's you know there'll be there'll be gun fetishism and Clint Eastwood. I will, like, I will say so. Just looking at these, one of them has Clint Eastwood firing a gun and the silhouette of San Francisco. One of them has Clint Eastwood firing a gun and like a uh, body target behind him, like kind of the printout yeah. like shooter targets. One of them has Clint Eastwood holding a gun in front of the Golden Gate Bridge, and one of them has Clint Eastwood in the San Francisco skyline, but no gun. Dirty Harry uh, Six. Clint gonna... Eastwood <laughs> is the gun. He's wearing a big gun mascot suit the whole time. I, I think I know Clint Eastwood movie uh, that these movies are about, guys. I think they're about Clint Eastwood guns and San Francisco. Yep. He's more, he's what was more that movie? Uh, Frank with uh with who's in it? Uh, Michael, uh, Michael Fassbender. Yeah, Frank's great. Yeah, yeah. Just imagine yeah. that, but it's Dirty Harry, and instead of having a fake no. human head on, he's just got a, a big smiling revolver head. But he's I thought you were talking about Joe, uh, the movie from around that same time with <laughs> Peter uh, with Peter Boyle. Now I'm thinking, what if there, what if we Peter can Boyle we pitch a, is Frank? Can we pitch a sixth Dirty Harry movie to Clint Eastwood based on his time as mayor of Carmel, uh, California? But he's Dirty Harry Callahan getting elected to a small California it's Harry's town. retirement. Um, I mean. <laughs> I don't know. He he seems to kind of be in the position where he does whatever the hell he feels like right yeah. now as an actor. So probably, like he doesn't he does not like do you, like he doesn't seem to have like any considerations of like oh I have to do a studio movie or whatever. It's just sort of like I'm Clint Eastwood and I'm going to do what I want, which is a good place for an actor to be in. I think. So th- this is this is not the Clint Eastwood cast, despite setting it up as I did poorly. Uh, this is in fact the podcast where we talk about Marvel movies, and today we are talking about Deadpool, not the Dead. Pool, but one word, Deadpool, uh, a 2016 film. We're in 2016 now, guys. Um, Woo! My God. Directed by Tim Miller. What a year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, starring Ryan Reynolds, Marina Baccarin, uh, Ed Screen, TJ Miller, Gina Carino, and Brianna Hildebrand. Uh, Ryan Reynolds making his third appearance now on Cinema Excelsior. Oh, yeah. After his previous bows as uh, Hannibal King, of course, in Blade Trinity, mm-hmm. which we all remember. Uh, and I do. And playing Wait, an entirely he, he different. He played Hannibal King? I thought he had played, uh, I, I thought he played Blade, uh, Blade's grandson. This is Blade Trinity. <laughs> yeah. It's about his grandson, Blade, right? Blade the third. The third generation of Blade. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. Yep. Did I watch the same? Oh, I wasn't on that podcast. Uh, Neither was I, actually. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a much lighter weight of, of our other podcasts, I think. Yeah, yeah. Low turnout for the Blade Trinity podcast. Um, but he also uh, also played a version of this character 
in X-Men Origins Wolverine, which I think is probably in our bottom five of films that we've watched so far. Uh, we've watched a lot of films. I mean, Electra's... We don't need to yeah. get into this again. Yeah, we've, I we've, mean, we've had I mean, this we've got, Electra, we've got Electra in three different uh, Fantastic Four movies. And Literally every episode we start arguing about what the worst film is. <laughs> and we have the, exactly the same conversation. <laughs> That's true. It's if true. you're listening to these episodes consecutively, then for one thing, what is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> and also, please, please don't binge us. Please write us letters and tell us what drives you nuts. Speaking of which, do people I know for a fact watch these? Hello, Aaron, Lucia, and Phil. I don't know why you're doing this, but hi. Oh, that was a call out. Hi. Hi. Nobody watches this, do they? Human. You're not recording our video, are you? No, I, f- I feel like this is uh, this is one of those like moments in a, a 1950s or 60s Christmas special, like the "Oh, hello, didn't see you there" kind of moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, Mister Angel, the man who's been creepily watching us from the corner of the diner for the entire film. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's uh, it's not inappropriate for our subject today, uh, Deadpool, which I don't think is going to end up in our bottom five films that we've watched. No, um, I, I enjoy this movie. Deadpool uh, was released in 2016 after a very long development cycle. Uh, Ryan Reynolds was attached to the project uh, when his career was on the rise before it peaked, bottomed out, and then uh, was resuscitated by this film. Uh, Reynolds became attached in 2004 uh, and then played the character in X-Men Origins Wolverine with an eye towards a spinoff. Um, the spinoff obviously happened. The uh, connection to that film obviously didn't. It was a spinoff in the sense that Halle Berry's Catwoman film was a spinoff of Batman Returns, except uh, the quality thought, curve was reversed on that one. I thought Halle Berry's Catwoman was a spinoff of uh, Charles Dickens's Great Expectations. <laughs> it might as well have been. <laughs> wow. Um, did we I see the same film? We did not, we did not see the same Halle Berry Catwoman. <laughs> I was going to go with Cat People. Yeah, putting out the fire with gasoline. Tessos Dos Bichos? Yeah. That yeah, that's not as good. The, X, the X-Files? Yeah, Tessos Dos The worst Bichos. episode of the X-Files? God, now I want to see Jacques Turner's Deadpool. <laughs> is, that the, is that the one with, like, the... That's the one with, like, the, like, pack of feral cats that are enacting some sort of... Mech- Curse? It's, it's a cross between right? the relic. Yeah, it's the relic. Remember that film, The Relic? Uh, no. There's a cursed object that ends up in a museum, and it comes with some kind of cat spirit. And also, okay. there's some ayahuasca in there. I'm pretty sure there's ayahuasca in there, but under a different name. <laughs> wow. Got it. Makes sense. I mean, I mean, that information I think, from I think, ayahuasca all right. films. All right. So <laughs> let's let's set aside our redundant. What's what's the worst uh, Marvel movie we've seen conversation? Because I think I think there's a lot of contenders for worst X Files episodes, <laughs> yeah. and that one's That's definitely it. in contention. I don't know if I'm willing to concede it's the worst just yet. Because uh, at the, the time, worst? at the time, the, it was the worst one. Well, let's, yeah, but it's a pretty early episode. episode. Isn't that like season two or three? Yes, it's season two. <laughs> let's let's t- let's table that conversation for the after dark. Uh, because the second <laughs> episode, so that oh, uh, I'm, God, I'm, willing to, I'm, only, I'm willing to move on if we come back to it. Never. Got it. I'm just we saying that never... the second episode, the second episode that William Gibson wrote was fucking terrible. The first one's great. The second episode is terrible. <laughs> so this film, uh, after X Men Origins Wolverine, was supposed to be uh, was supposed about. to be put on the track to do a uh, do a version of the film with that character, uh, the one that had his mouth stitched shut. But they were going to take it take it back to the roots, which there's. 
I don't know. Given how messed up the X-Men film series continuity is, I can believe that they would have just gone that route. Uh, but I mean, things... the film itself acknowledges that the yeah, yeah. continuity is confusing as shit. Uh, the, the film started to, to go wrong uh, really as the... <laughs> Uh, the arc of Ryan Reynolds' career began to dip downwards. So Reynolds, in the interim, uh, made Green Lantern, which is also referenced in this film several times, uh, and it for several years destroyed his ability to act as a bankable star. Um, Wait a minute. Repeat that? Ryan Reynolds made the film <laughs> Green Lantern in 2011. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, and the result of that film was him no longer being uh, considered a bankable star. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say I want to thank dude for uh, for asking that because I had the same problem. I think my brain heard Green Lantern and just erased it because like <laughs> you said that, and I I knew he was talking about a movie that Ryan Reynolds had done that like hurt his career, and I couldn't think of it. I was like, what did he just say? He just said it. What was it? My brain couldn't process it. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was just thinking about Scarlett Johansson and didn't hear what you said. <laughs> Star of Green he was Lantern. trying to think. He was thinking. He was. He was getting his uh, final thoughts ready, which is going to be his bottom five X Files uh, list. Gotcha. <laughs> um. So yeah, the uh, the film after uh, Green Lantern and after Reynolds' career took a downturn was put on pause uh, for for a bit until uh, Tim Miller came on board as a director. There was some test footage that was shot that was very positively received when it leaked to the public. And at that yeah. point, the film uh, the film really went into production for its 2016 release. And what I'll, I'll say at the outset before I launch into the, the quick summary, uh, this was an exceptionally well-marketed film. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. Dro- it dropped in uh, February. Uh, so it was February 12th, 2016, Valentine's Day weekend. Uh, and the, the yes, build-up to it was exceptional. The yes. highest uh, the highest grossing R-rated film of all time, I think. I think that's still the case. I think something might have uh, knocked it out since then. Just because, like, highest rated, the highest grossing movie, like, that record gets broken, like, three times a year. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, I I gotta see this now, because it was for a while, but I feel like something might have been. the guy who directed Lorenzo's Oil and (laughs) George Miller? George the, director, the, the director of the Babe movies and the it's, Mad Max movies? Yes, and the Mag, it, Mad Max movies. At yes. the time of its release, it was the highest grossing R-rated film and the highest grossing X-Men film. I cannot okay. give you any further information as to whether that has been broken since then. The point is, it did really, 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 really good. And on a, on a yeah. Oh, yeah. not grotesque budget, it was well, a, a $60 million film that made $58 million budget, probably double that for marketing, so yeah, you're looking at a ridiculous profit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think the, the beauty of the marketing campaign in and of itself was Deadpool is not a household name. Nope. And rather than trying to educate potential viewers as to who Deadpool was, uh, the the filmmakers embraced the malleability of Deadpool's personality. And so the entire marketing campaign was Deadpool as a character in different genres. It was pitching the film as a romantic comedy. It was pitching the film as light family fare. It it was uh, really leaning into the love story element in a way that was very obviously indicating to the audience that that's not what the film actually is. And for a February drop date, it worked exceptionally well. Yeah. Uh, I have an idea for what our final thoughts should be. 
Okay. <laughs> I can't. I contest. I mean, I, like, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go grab my. I've got all of. I've got all of the X Files right over there. Instead I'm ready, of to, doing look, I'm ready that. to look through those lists and figure out what my bottom five episodes are. Don't tempt it's, me. Instead of doing that, try and come up with a marketing plan for Deadpool three. Mm. Embracing the Deadpool character, what you would well, put Deadpool oh, I, I, I can do that immediately. Yeah, I, I got without, one. Oh, I've already I've got, got ideas. I got I've one. already got a great idea for that. One. I have not. I have not. I still have not seen uh, Deadpool two yet. That may or may not affect my ability to I literally just however you would put Deadpool into any marketing campaign for a Deadpool film. Where would you put Deadpool in culture where I, he should not belong? The I've got a very very yeah. easy. The one. I'm, I'm, I'm very specific on this. Do, do we want to do it now or do we do we really? Yeah, want I, that to I mean, I can do mine now. Okay, yeah, let's know. just do it now and then we'll summarize the okay. film. Okay, Dooch. Okay. Oh, uh, I would, I would rewrite the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> With Deadpool in it. <laughs> wait, as who? Wait, as who? As who? As Jim? Not, or as not even not even necessarily as as a distinct character, but well, I mean, yes, the, like a the third idea man came on from the putting in robot yeah. instead of as the spirit of Mark Twain. Yeah, uh, but you know, if he's just if like you're just reading a sentence and there's just the word Deadpool is in the middle of the sentence and that happens like fifty times throughout the book. Got it, Patrick. Derek, what's yours? Or... Oh. Is there, does anyone else have them? Or I, I thought we were going left to right. Or so any can... other novel, that classic novel yeah, that's in yeah. the public. Um, okay, so I, here's here's mine. Is that Deadpool three is by definition going to come out in a new era of Deadpool movies, mm-hmm. vis a vis the fact that this is going to be the era where he's going to be made under the auspices of the mouse. Oh, when he becomes a Disney princess. Boom. Is that what you were going to say? Yes, that's great. <laughs> yes, that's really great. Awesome. That's perfect. I am not a marketing professional for nothing. Yes, that Um, was very good. That's really good. Mine is, I think, a little more pedestrian. Uh, I I am functioning on the assumption that Deadpool 2 or Deadpool 3 is probably going to come out around 2020. So I think Deadpool runs for president, and it's called President Pool. That's also a good one. (laughs) Not President, President Deadpool. So let's talk about this movie. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm just going to say, I'm looking over a list of X-Files episodes, and their <laughs> titles their titles are not descriptive enough for me to remember what all these episodes are. The titles so of I'm X-Files not sure episodes that, are in, not user-friendly. In the process of recording this episode, I don't think I can like passively look at this there, list and go, ah, oh, yes, The Blessing Way, that episode. It would not be a Cinema Excelsior episode if it didn't involve Dooge and Nick Bester getting incredibly focused on something that had nothing to do with what okay, we were talking I'm about. I'm trying to get back on track, so do we but want I am to... also not All right. trying I'm to standing derail by, I'm, him. I'm, I'm, I am standing by my pitch for uh, Deadpool as The Bachelor. Sounds good. Derek, do you have one? I do. Uh, so, you know, I, I think for Deadpool 3, you you just lean 110% into the fourth wall breaking. Uh, you attach Charlie Kaufman uh, to direct. And it's just adaptation, right? Or it's just, you know... Like but with Deadpool... <laughs> Deadpool has to write the script for Deadpool 3... Um, and it becomes some sort of, you know, there's some kind of recursive. Yeah, he, uh, he bases it on the magic of tidying up by Marie Kondo, but he, <laughs> right? yeah. he only he only inserts uh, scenes uh, that give him joy. Got it. What? All right, I have a, I have a second pitch. Give it to Wes Anderson, but it has to be one of those weird uh, stop motion animation. Oh, the Fantastic movies. Mr. Deadpool. Do a yes. do a reunion of a classic like sitcom that people love, like Mash or Seinfeld or Taxi, 
but have Deadpool in it. <laughs> you could do it as a uh, a 1980s uh, teen film, Fast Times at Deadpool High. But oh my god! But at some point, Deadpool removes his mask, and it turns out it's Andy Kaufman, and he yes. and he did fake his death. Oh yes. God. No, it's uh, to- Tony uh, or what? Tony Danza? Hinchcliffe. Hinchcliffe. Oh yeah, yeah, the the. the... The guy who maybe Tony is... Tony uh... Clifton? Tony yeah, Clifton, that sounds right. Yeah, I'm Got thinking it. of the stand-up comedian something, Hinchcliffe. Yep. Doesn't matter. So do we want to talk about this? So there's there's two ways to talk about this movie. We could talk about... Um... Deadpool 3 as a uh, real crime podcast. Got it, yeah. Um, we could talk about this in kind of telling the story that unfolds, or we can talk about it in the order in which the story unfolds. Because one of the things that really jumped out at me at this viewing is how severely the fact that the story is told non-linearly affects the tone of the film. To the point where mm. if the story was told linearly, I don't think it would work as a film. I'm actually inclined to agree with that. And, um, I mean, it's hard to talk about this without sort of saying what I think is one of the things the film does really, really well. Like, genuinely, I feel like it's the the, the, the heart of the movie, and without it, the movie doesn't work, is that is that love story with Vanessa. Because, like, you know, we, they were talk- we were joking about how, like, the, the marketing campaign was kind of joking about it being romance, a romance, but it is a romance, and it needs to be a romance because, you know, Deadpool is, by definition, this sort of fourth-wall, wacky, breaking character. He's practically immortal, like, and, and but, like, it, it would be so easy for this movie to just turn into this completely bloodless, weightless, yeah. pointless thing. But, like, by, by basically having something happen and then moving straight into, like, okay, look at this, understand why you give a crap, is maybe the most brilliant piece of screenwriting that the movie pulls off. Because it, it immediately grounds you and makes you understand why you give a shit that anything is happening on screen. Because yeah. without that, I honestly feel like this, the, I, would, I would just so be, I would, this would be, like, a 20-minute short that again, I would have gotten bored with. I'd be interested to see where in, you know, the production process and in development uh, that kind of takes shape because it wouldn't surprise me if that structure, I don't know one way or the other, but it wouldn't surprise me if that structure was kind of a late ad um, Mm -hmm. that um, it, you know, it's in some ways you can, to a certain extent, you can kind of cheat. Uh, with this character and with this film through editing. I mean, one of the, I think one of the really uh, interesting things about Deadpool is that um, because he has the full mask, like you don't see his mouth move and it's fully kind of CGI so that you can, you know, or, you know, at least the eyes are, it gives you actually a lot of flexibility, like to, to change things sort of late in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm wondering if, it was originally a little more linear and at some point in the edit, they, they structured well, it that way. I don't I know mean, if I that's, think, I think to build off of, uh, uh, Derek's thing about the cheat, I was just thinking like, what does it look like if you watch this as a linear narrative? And I think I, I, as I was thinking about, I sort of, there's a, there's an incoherence that I, I think the flashback structure, the in media res structure sort of, uh, plasters over in a really convenient way so like if you show it as a linear narrative like wade as we see him at the very beginning is kind of a smart aleck but like not at the level that he is at the Mm -hmm. at the at the beginning of the movie once he's like established as deadpool and i think if you show it as a linear narrative i don't think there's any sort of real justification for how he necessarily gets that back if you if you're watching it as a linear narrative like 
this smart aleck guy goes through absolute hell. It's this like absolutely tragic story. And then he gets a mission and suddenly he's cracking wise. If you were just watching that as a linear narrative, like the tonal clash of that would just be absolutely absurd. But by showing us like at the absolute beginning, like this is the tone that we will have, that he will have eventually. And now we're going to see him go through hell. And now we're going to cut back and we're never really going to show that probably improbable moment where he somehow gets his sense of humor back. Uh, I think is sort of a convenient yeah. that, a that, cheat for them. That tone piece, I, th- I think, is the big one that jumps out at me because if you if you tell the story linearly, um, this is a pretty grim movie up until a certain point. Um, it, it's about a guy who is terribly self destructive, falls in love, has one good thing, is terminally ill, is tortured for a very long time, loses everything that he has, and then goes on a vengeance mission. And then yeah. there's an incredibly <laughs> sharp shift in tone. And then it becomes I mean, I wacky think it, comedy. I think it's telling that the, the inciting incident of this is kind of the same inciting incident as Breaking Bad. It's like this character being broken yeah. by yeah. this cancer uh, diagnosis. Yep. But the, and the, yeah. the fact that you start with him as Deadpool, you start with him on the bridge, you start with him going through that part of the experience... Yeah. Um, sets the audience up so that you can get through the grim part of the narrative without it feeling oppressive or overwhelming because you know what's waiting for you on the other side of it. And if you tell that story linearly, like when that tonal shift happens... I don't think the audience goes with it. Yeah, basically, and we they, have, with, and we have. Oh, sorry, Patrick. Yeah. So basically, what they do is they 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 start off. The first thing they do is they set the tone. Like mm-hmm. then, once the tone is set, then they establish the stakes by introducing Vanessa, and and like there's that that great moment where I love that moment where they, they get the diagnosis and the the noise drops out for Wade because he mm-hmm. literally cannot hear what anything's saying because all he can think about is. I'm about to die, so I want to look at her as much as I can beforehand. And like, okay, oh, wow. I, I understand the tone. I also understand why I give a shit and why things are grounded. And that- now we're off to the races and kind, kind of go. No. Um, and I, oh, I would also say the other important thing this sort of nonlinear structure does is that it makes it so that Colossus isn't... It introduces Colossus a little bit earlier because otherwise mm-hmm. Colossus it would only come in at the very end. Oh, that's good and one. that's a problem because Colossus, I would argue, is a super important component yeah the structure of this film like i think this film falls apart without colossus yeah uh, dude you the, like something yeah the the cancer news reaction uh thing they do is similar to what breaking bad does where when uh when he gets the news of the cancer he gets you know, that tinnitus yeah hum that like mm. very high pitched yeah. so all the other sound drops out I think also I think also this is a really good way to do an origin story. I mean, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about a lot of other mm-hmm. movies and I think, you know, I I have been on record as generally being down on a lot of the origin stories that we've seen, particularly the ones that feel kind of superfluous. Particularly like, Funkman Origins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like I think there's a lot of characters where like we don't need origin stories at this point. Um and Batman, Spider-Man, and I just saw uh, Spider-Man into the uh, Spider-Verse earlier today, and I think it does a really good job of handling origin stories there, too. But I think, think uh, Stefan, you set this up as, like, Deadpool is not a character that uh, everybody knows. He's not, he doesn't have that kind of name recognition. So, like, I think this is a necessary origin story. And, like, even for me, as somebody who's, like, sort of a casual fan of Marvel, I wouldn't, I don't know... Deadpool's comic book origin stories. I, I 
to the extent that I need an origin story, I needed this one in here. But also, I think that this is a really good way to set it up. Uh, that, you know, showing us them already in uh, at their prime uh, and then jumping back, I think, is much more a much more compelling way to do it than uh, the, the sort of linear way that we see, you know, way too many Spider-Man movies have insisted on doing, for well, instance. And, and two, two things about this. No, number one... Um, I think the the film is capable of doing this largely because of the way they choose to characterize Deadpool. It is very fourth wall breaking. It is very snarky. It is calling out the the conventions of the story that's being told. And I, I'm not commenting on that as like, oh, if you're meta about everything, then you can get away with anything. But the way that it's used with this particular character doesn't make the structure feel out of place. Uh, and and then second, when you um, when you think about that. That leaning into the love story um, and uh, Wade saying early on that this is a love story. And then in the, the second film, which best of you haven't seen, he says very early on, this is a family film. Um, to Patrick's point, it truly is that uh, at, at a thematic level in terms oh, of the, the, the way that the bones of the story are structured. That's the story that's being told. It's guy meets girl. Guy leaves girl because of his own problems. Guy regrets it. Guy tries to get girl back. Girl forgets guy. They kiss and make up. Like it, it is a that is not how the bones of this film work. Waka waka waka. <laughs> um, but there, the the structure is there, and the, yep, that's yep. Vis, visual medium. Um, but the uh, everything else around it is is tone. It's embellishment. It's it's visual splendor. But that. It is a film love story at a very basic yeah. level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shall we talk about that story? Sure. I think we should. All right. So we'll we'll go largely linearly. Um, in instead of which linear? Um, this the I was the about, popular the shoes that help. <laughs> oh man, Derek, uh, explain <laughs> popular the shoes that. This is this is not the time or the place. I have to get tenure. We do not discuss it with outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll go. We'll go in the order. That was a order. Star Trek novel reference, in case anyone was wondering. Oh, I actually thought that was a DS Nine. Which reference. novel? Uh, maybe, maybe it is DS Nine. Uh, no, it's, someone... the, it's the, tri- the trouble. With, it's the trouble yeah. with trouble. Oh, yeah, oh, it's yeah, yeah, right. Right. Hey, they what? Are yeah, Klingons. Right. It is a long they, story. They, 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 they handled it. I mean, to be fair, that line has probably been used in a couple different contexts. Yeah. It's probably not exclusively been said by it, Warp in that in trouble. It, it's basically sort of with trials and tribulations. Yeah, it's, it's basically the go-to. We don't want to have to explain this, and we don't care. We do on. not yeah. write that for audiences. <laughs> um, well, let no, Enterprise we'll, handle we'll, it. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll go. But yeah, that, that's let's do it fabulous doing. style. <laughs> do it fabulous style. Start in the past. All right, start we'll start. We'll start in the, the past. Story. Thank you. Um, thank you for defining that term. Uh, so we we begin story versus plot. Yep. So, okay. So if if we are going in terms of the um, kind of starting point of Wade before he was Deadpool, uh, we have Wade Wilson. He's played by Ryan Reynolds. He's handsome. He's got a nice haircut. He's, he's uh, very handsome. He's yeah. He's hey, the handsomest man alive, according to uh, that issue of People magazine. Um, yeah, but they said that about Blake Shelton too, and that was what? No, they yeah. they said that about um, uh, Patrick Stewart once. Well, that one. Um, yeah. So well, they just, said that true. about Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte was sexiest man alive in like ninety one, ninety two. It was a rough year in ninety one, ninety two. 
Mm-hmm. What were you doing in 91, 92? I was well, the sexiest six-year-old alive. Jesus Christ. Oh, no. Moving on. That is not a phrase that anyone <laughs> oh, should ever say. Moving on. Yeah, that's Well, I was saying it about myself, which I think makes it a little better. Moving on. Wade, uh, Wade is ex-Special Forces. He's dishonorably just discharged. He uh, spends his time uh, ostensibly doing good, uh, but not really. Um, and hanging out in a dive bar full of mercenaries, uh, and his, uh, best friend slash bartender. Mercenaries. Mercenaries. Uh, and his, uh, best friend slash bartender Weasel, uh, where he meets Vanessa. Uh, Vanessa is a prostitute, uh, but she, uh, is able to keep up with him verbally. They immediately fall in love, and over the course of the next, I guess, roughly year, um, have an enormous amount of uh, increasingly kinky sex, uh, including the Thanksgiving sex, which, I don't know, I found that one especially disturbing. Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving. I don't remember. Really? That's... I thought it was the pegging. I figured pegging was going to be the bridge too far for you. I mean, like, I don't know. The, is this the first time the, that it's the food, food thing is in and of itself? So I'm, um, I don't know. A, a lot this was happening we between the lines really in are. Rise of the Silver Surfer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, who knows what those ghosts were up to in Electra but anyway the the film does look I've seen Ghostbusters I know what ghosts get I've seen things you people wouldn't believe Um, they love love blowing guys in Napoleonic uh, uniforms so the uh, I think we had a conversation about this when we talked about Howard the Duck the last time Probably, yes, we did. We did. We definitely it's my did fault. Because... I bring Ghostbusters into every conversation. So, so I Wade, think I brought that up last time. But... So Wade and Vanessa fall in love over the course of this year. Wade proposes to her. She says yes. He immediately collapses to the ground, and we find out that he has late stage, uh, late stage cancer uh, all over his body. Do you think that it this is. movie is trying to say that marriage causes cancer? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Or ring pop cause cancer. Is, well, Derek, mm. do Derek, Stefan, how are you two feeling? Yeah, this is the McLaughlin Group conversation. <laughs> Issue one. Issue one. So Wade, Wade is uh, Wade is devastated uh, and does not want to cause Vanessa pain, and the way he interprets that is that he needs to go off and and die alone. Uh, because he does not want like a cat under the porch, yes. <laughs> like a coward, like an asshole. Now, Wade goes to his bar uh, where he is met by uh, a guy who played one of the aliens in Galaxy Quest. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he yes. did. He was like second yes, in command yeah, in yeah, Galaxy he was not, Quest. Yeah, he was not uh, the the lead. He was not Enrico Calantoni, yeah, and he was not Rain Wilson, and he was not. What's her name? Missy Pyle? Yes, Missy Pyle. Uh, Missy Pyle. He was, he was yeah, not Rain Wilson. I'm sorry? Forgot Rain Wilson Reese, in Galaxy Quest. Reese. Jed Reese? Jed Reese? Oh, yeah, no, I like I remember I remember watching it this time, like, two hours ago, but also watching it for the first time and going, that's the motherfucker from Galaxy Quest. Oh, yeah, immediately. Because um, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. I think it's He was also movie. in a 1997 X-Files episode called Sync. Sync, I can never pronounce these goddamn X files. Sync, Rony, Synchrony, 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 yeah, Synchronicity. You know you. You know. What me. is that? <laughs> Again, <laughs> you see these the fucking oh, the titles. Album. The, the fucking titles album. are not helpful. Yeah, he plays the police keyboards. album. Yeah, 
He filled yeah, in for yeah. Stuart Copeland in... Uh... He, he was in Synchronicity too. The Police albums. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He was in Scrandonicity. Yeah, Scrandonicity New York. The Police album. <laughs> anyway, uh, he recruits Wade into a program with the promise that he can cure his cancer. Uh, make him a superhero, cure his cancer. Uh, Wade hits rock bottom. He, uh, he accepts the offer uh, and finds that he has been duped. Uh, instead, he is strapped to a gurney. He is injected with a formula to activate his mutant genes with the explanation that they will only activate under extreme stress. Uh, we meet our British villain, uh, Ajax, played by Ed Screen, who... Uh, Francis. Scrine. Scrine? Yeah. Francis. Ed Scrine. Okay, yeah. We'll go, we'll go with the that side of the Atlantic pronunciation. Um, <laughs> Ed Scrine, who, uh, in order to activate Wade's mutant genes to sell him on the black market uh, as a soldier, he tortures Wade brutally. Uh, Wade doesn't lose his sense of humor. Uh, but he does end up horribly scarred, uh, but with the ability to heal from anything, except apparently from his own horrible scarring. Yeah. Uh, there is a, uh, a fight where Wade breaks out. Ajax uh, makes the comment that he is the only person capable of fixing Wade uh, from his horrible scarring. Wade survives, finds out that he has the cure to L everything, uh, and then uh, decides that he needs to get his face fixed by Ajax, who he calls Francis, so that he can reunite with Vanessa. Because that is his name. That, that is, is his, his name, name, name is Francis. Francis. Yeah. Um, so that he can reunite with Vanessa, because he does not believe that Vanessa will love him, looking as uh, as horrified as he uh, horrifying as he is. Uh, at this point, we gloss over the fact that he becomes Deadpool. Uh, he adopts the name, he builds a costume, there's a funny montage, uh, just quick round table, uh, your favorite kill in the montage, or comedy bit in the montage, I have to go with the Zamboni. The Zamboni's the only one I remember. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think the part, I think the part with, uh, with him, like, uh, meeting the blind woman, Al, uh, or like that, probably. Mm, yeah. I, I, I will also add, I like the the, itinerant, the way he has to itinerate his costume. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, he has to, yeah. like, he's like, oh, wait, wait, this is actually I think, bad. I think there's, I, I would like to see, like, an, another step between, uh, like, f- first red costume and, like, full, like, like screen Whatever. quality costume. Mm-hmm. Like where, it, where it seems like he goes. He goes from mm-hmm. I'm wearing like red sweatshirts and like a, a cutout mask to I have like this ridiculous thing made out of like space age materials. Yes, space age <laughs> materials like leather, like leather. Yep, the space I, I, age I, of materials. I am always fascinated by the concept that there is a that there is a tailor for superheroes. I think Batman's played with this idea a few yeah. times. Mm-hmm. Well, like, I mean, Daredevil like... Daredevil does a good job of like there actually yeah. being a dude who in universe that uh, yeah, that's true. That, uh, he has to deal with yep. yeah, like yeah, I just I just like the idea that someone has to think about these sorts of things. Like Daredevil, <laughs> for example, when you make yeah. Daredevil's superhero outfit. He doesn't have to have eye holes. Yeah. You can just ignore it. Yeah. And this is a pet peeve I have with a lot of things, like going from like immediately like janky, like this is my first attempt at a superhero to suddenly immediately like, like having Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. But Daredevil yeah, which... doesn't want people to know that he's blind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that does kind of narrow the pool of people he could possibly be. <laughs> really jacked blind people. Jacked I mean, blind, isn't that yeah, kind of the York. crux of Daredevil that... that... As a hu- as a regular person, Matt Murdock can't let anyone know he can see, yep. and Daredevil can't let anyone know that he's blind. Yep. 
No, that is important. That's why his mask does have eye holes. And Electra can't let anyone know that everyone is a ghost. That's true. If she does, yeah. then she'll she'll ascend to heaven and won't be able to fulfill her. And mission. Bullseye has to kill people with peanuts. Yep. <laughs> Bullseye has to. Be he doesn't have to. He just barrel. wants to. And also, he hated that old woman. Oh, yeah. Old woman. Or whoever it was that he kills with a peanut. I, I think know. it was a fat man on a plane. No, it was, it was an old woman was... on a plane. It was an old woman. He yeah. killed, right. he killed the fat man with a paperclip. A bunch mm. of paper clips. Bunch, well, one paper clip that he broke into a bunch of pieces. Anyway, that, that was getting, the paper clip that broke the fat man's uh, back. Yeah. So at this point, uh, Wade is living with Blind Al, who is an old woman. I guess he met her in the laundromat. I'm uh, assuming that's that, their first uh, meeting there. Yeah. Is her name Blind Al? Her is that what she's known? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I... not to be confused with the other Al's in the in yeah. the film. Yeah, not, not to be confused confused with Al. Is that her name in the comics? Because I think in the movie, uh, yes. it's just called Al. Her name in the comics no, it's blind. Is, is blind Al. Okay. Yep. Well, she is blind, and she not is not blind Al. Allie. And she's a former cocaine addict. That is another important and, and former British intelligence and former that does not uh, come up in the movie. Former mm-hmm. Tony Award winner uh, Leslie Uggams. Um, no, it, it is a Marvel a rule that alley, all right? blind people are secretly badass, I guess. I'm not sure what that says, but it, it yeah. does seem to be a thing that they do. I feel like that's a pretty common trope. I feel like, like, statistically, blind people turn out to be, like, secretly she badass way more, than, way more than I imagine, <laughs> like... I mean, there definitely are blind badasses, but, like, if I you see like a blind person in a form of blind. popular culture, it's probably going to be a badass. If you're blind and not deaf and you trip over a Roomba, I'm not going to call you a badass. Um, it's, it's not thing. silent. So uh, Wade uh, adopts the Deadpool identity. He tracks down Francis. He uh, confronts Francis on a highway. Lots of people die. There are a lot of car wrecks. It's a really fun action scene. Um, but is stopped from uh, from either apprehending or killing Francis by the interjection of Colossus, our uh, our big steel X man, uh, and his trainee Negasonic Teenage Warhead, uh, who's by whose name uh, Wade is very impressed. Yes. yes. Uh, Colossus uh, is very very focused on making Wade a better person. He wants Wade to be an X man. Uh, he shows him uh, tremendous latitude and patience, but is uh, is frustrated in him despite the potential that he sees. Uh, Negasonic teenage warhead. She uh, she has long silences and then makes mean comments, but she's she's cool. Yeah. Can I? I, I want to. I want to take it just a quick moment to ask just sort of a clarifying question about the mutations in the Marvel universe. Wade Wilson is a mutant, right? Not a mutate. That's correct. Okay. He has the X gene. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. Like that's how it's explained. Yeah, the, the... That's how it's explained in the film. But I just like he's a mutant in the yeah. The gene okay, so activated, like, but it's not the, implanted. He, the, if I may, <laughs> let me put on my nerd glasses. Oh, on um, this podcast. Uh, I'm no. gonna need. I'm gonna uh, need some actual glasses before I accept. Well, yeah, this. he's not wearing well, any I glasses. Can't. Yeah, I can't Dealers, because I lost my glasses, glasses and I need to have he's them replaced. And I'm trying he's to find out if my vision insurance will cover it. Um. No, the uh, so the way okay, so the line in the Marvel universe is fuzzy as shit, and it mostly comes down to what the what the writers kind of want them to be at any given moment. But there are essentially three. There's four forms of powered people in the Marvel universe. Okay, there is one people who are just born that way. That's anyone who's an alien, the uh, Lady Gaga. Yeah, 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 they're just born that way. Two okay. people who get it by some form of accident. These are your Peter Parkers. Um, these are. Uh, 
Honestly, Captain Marvel. She gets hers in an accident. So that then you got those two. The three other two are in humans and um, mutants. And in humans and mutants can become in humans and mutants through a shockingly large number of ways. The key point oh. with the mutants is all mutants, it's because they activated the X gene. Whether it was at birth or later on, the X gene is what gave them their powers. Puberty. In humans, got terrigen. It was puberty. In humans are operating under the X gene too? Or do no, they not, not in humans. In humans are... Uh... Are they Mystic yeah, there's, cre- yeah, there's they're, cre- they're a side effect of Cree Cree meddling because okay. the Cree are the intergalactic space dicks of the Marvel universe. So they're both DNA so, based. Yes. So mutates mutates are the accident people, right? Like Spider Man right. and the Hulk are, are mutates, I believe. That's Daredevil. correct. Daredevil mutate. mutate. Okay. Luke Cage and Jessica Jones are mutates. Iron Fist is magic. We haven't talked about magic, and we're not going to. Good. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that so would be five, Francis- right? Five. Speaking of, speaking of yeah. magic, four I was at, ways I was at, of getting five ways of getting six speaking, ways. <laughs> speaking of magic, Nobody I was at a magic. I was at a public library branch the Where other day, and going? like I was, I, <laughs> I was like looking at the DVDs, and they had the TV film Doctor Strange there, but it was like out facing, so it was like one of those like. Uh, at this point, I lost my Wi-Fi connection, and the podcast experienced technical difficulties. We now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast. Fortunately, I never stopped recording. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I would have, uh, I would not actually have recorded anything you were saying. (laughs) Okay, good. Because if if you had the literally the last thing that Patrick said was to call someone a dumb, dumb, dummy, but we're not going to say who. You forgot that this person also smells. Got it, got it. All right, well, where, not, where not did a... you, when did you drop out? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we we were talking about, uh, you were telling a story about going to the public library and seeing the Doctor Strange DVD face out, starring uh, Jessica Walter and some dude in a yeah. 70s. So we didn't, you didn't get my disclaimer that I, have always, that I would never just keep a library book, because I have always returned all of my library books. Yes. That's good. The, right. the library and, police and, and, won't hunt you down. And yes. then I tried to get us back on track by talking about how Clo- the long-suffering Colossus. Uh, well, let's helped. let's let's try and get that back on track now, especially that Stefan is here to record. Help us get help. this podcast back on track. <laughs> so, Colossus, yes, tries to take Deadpool back um, because he strongly believes that Deadpool can be a good person. He gives several. He gives a, the first of what is going to be a couple of actually important thematic speeches about the nature of heroism, and then Deadpool doesn't want to listen to him, so he cuts his own arm off to escape. Mm-hmm. And then he goes back to Blind Al, and then I'm going to wait for somebody to rescue me because, as we so all he go, know, he I... goes back to Blind Al. Uh, Blind Al is putting together some IKEA furniture, uh, the Kunin, yep. I believe, which is not actually an IKEA thing. Uh, but I think that the folks at Ikea... Well, she got it off so Craigslist. That's true. So it's like knockoff Ikea. It's like I thought it's like line, Ikea. I thought that line was complaining about ending up his uh, his roommate. That was how I read that line. Yeah, I thought oh. that... Yeah, I thought that was Blind Al. That was the connection. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, you're probably right. Uh, it seemed odd well, that, he, that she would have bought used Ikea furniture on Craigslist and it came unassembled. It came unassembled. <laughs> yeah, some guy used it then took it apart. Well, yeah. now um, he bought it and realized he couldn't well, get it I think this also I think this also goes back to the earlier discussion about, like, if you present this movie line- linearly, like, there's 
he has to recuperate to grow his arm back. But like, if you just presented presented this like the the narrative trajectory of like his first attempt on uh, Francis's life and then the second attack, like it's all out of whack. If you, yeah. if you just presented it that way, you'd have like this weird tragic arc and then a funny montage and then just fucking an hour of action uninterrupted. Yep. Yeah. So Wade is, uh, he's back. He, we uh, see him with Blind Al. Blind Al encourages him to ignore how ugly he is and to, uh, to go and find Vanessa anyway. Yes. And so he resolves to, he goes to the uh, strip club where Vanessa is waitressing we get but um, also i think i think there's also he's also the idea that uh, francis is going after that's true uh, yeah. after her right it's not it's not just al there's yes. also there's also the plot countdown clock of fuck we have to get to vanessa before yes, francis because francis dies. goes to weasel and finds out uh who vanessa is um at this point uh we get maybe my favorite stan lee cameo in any marvel film <laughs> as the mc at the strip club with the best line he has ever delivered at anything let's give it up for chastity <laughs> i didn't even think about that that's yeah. amazing i love it oh uh, so wade goes to this bar uh francis beats him to the bar he kidnaps vanessa Wade, uh, at this point, uh, needs to rescue Vanessa. He recruits Colossus and Negasonic to help with the promise that he'll consider uh, being an X-Man. They go. There's a big action scene at the end. Uh, We get a cameo appearance by my favorite Guilty Pleasure song, um, which is You're the Inspiration by Chicago. I was was thinking that when I was watching it earlier. I'm like, hey, it's Stefan's favorite song. And I want you here with me. Uh, I will say earlier we've got Juice Newton's uh, "Angel of the Morning," which is also a mm, fucking amazing it's song. song. It's a great, it's a great soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. every it's song a great soundtrack. Yeah. good. Uh, like have... going to give it to you as their like triumphant mm. badass march song. Yeah, it's yep. great. It's a great soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, we get our big uh, our big action scene at the end. Everyone uh, shows their worth. There's uh, comedy. There's drama. There's suspense. Uh, and it all, it all ends with, uh, Wade finally pinning, uh, Francis down, learning that Francis can't in fact fix him. Uh, (laughs) Colossus gives a soaring speech to try to convince Wade to spare his life. Uh, Wade interrupts Colossus to kill Francis, uh, and then has his tearful reunion with Vanessa, where he removes his mask. Then he removes the, uh, magazine cutout of Hugh Jackman's face that he had stapled to his (laughs) head. Uh, Vanessa accepts him for who he is and they uh, reunite uh, passionately to the sounds of Wham! as the film comes to an end. Yeah. Which earlier and then, uh, Wade established he was a big fan of Carol's Wish. Wham! There is, there is an end credit sequence that pays homage to the end credit sequence that started it all. <laughs> yes. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was I was wondering. I was like, I I think that that maybe it's not the very first one, but I think I think it's certainly one of the first. Oh, it it is, but it's also the specific one that uh, caused. Uh, or is it? Is it Paul Feig or Kevin Feige? Yeah. Kevin Feige. Fe- Feige Kevin is Feige. the Marvel. Piece. I can never remember which ones, but yeah. Kevin Feige saw that as a child, and then after that, always watched the credit sequences, ah. and that's why. He put <laughs> oh, I did not know that. Yeah, it was great. Like, yeah, well, that on, makes sense. Uh, okay, good on, rather than Nerdist or the WTF podcast. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, 
So now right. we've finally gotten through the summary of Deadpool. Yep. I, I'm going to say, I think that was that was pretty efficient for us. I think it takes us a lot longer to get through the plot. Yes, this is true. I think we're ahead of schedule, which yes. means more time to talk about the X-Files. Uh, before, before we do... X-Men, uh, I, not X-Files. Damn it. Um, before we do... Uh, does anyone have anything else they want to say about this film? And I mean, and we talked yeah. about the the structure. We talked no, about tone. No, no, I'm good. Background. I don't think there's anything else. Well, to say. Uh, thoughts. I, I <laughs> go ahead. Dan. Uh, I was going to say there uh, there is an important character. Well, I mean, uh, uh, a significant character in the film who we have not mentioned yet, and, yeah, and that is uh, Angel Dust, right? Gina yes. Gina Carano's is character. Yeah, that her name. I know Angel. Yeah. Well, that, that means there's two important characters that we haven't mentioned because we haven't mentioned Depender either. That's true. Oh, yes. mm, that's, right. that's true. Or uh, what's his face in the trunk? Yeah. Uh, Bondu. Bondu. Or Deadpool. No one's mentioned Deadpool. <laughs> what's what's a Deadpool? Probably, actually, uh, no one uh, mentioned him. I know we're actually making jokes right now, but I will say one of the jokes. things this movie does is Never. actually. It, I always feel like a movie, a superhero is only as strong as his supporting cast. And I was saying this having, I was watching Ant-Man and the Wasp the other night. And I was, I remember thinking like, I love watching um, uh, Luis in all Ant-Man movies. Like I just, I, I adore watching him. And like, superheroes really do need strong supporting casts. Yeah. And like, that's why Dopender works. That's why Weasel works. And again, I mean like, I uh, so like in the, in the comics, um, Deadpool has actually has a very close relationship with Captain America. The reason being, Captain America is the only person who the first person who actually like believed in him. In, in a sense, like he was like, you know, I don't take you as a joke. I I know you actually could be something better, and that means a lot to him. And obviously, for obvious reasons, they're not going to do that here. But Colossus is also filling in that role because Colossus also kind of has that sort of like. Boy Scout. Boy Scout moral authority kind of thing, Rockin'. Yeah, I and, mean, he's very much, you know, yeah, fact, I think both of them are very much paladin kind of, uh, yeah, lawful yeah. good kind of characters. Yeah, and because Colossus believes in Wade, it's sort of like, uh, so like my one of my favorite dynamics in comics that we'll never see in the movies, which is a shame, is is Spider-Man and, and uh, Daredevil. And that's because yeah. Yeah, Spider-Man it, it collects father figures like nobody's business. But Daredevil is not his fa father figure to Spider-Man. It's his older brother. And he looks up to Daredevil, and Daredevil finds that weird because he's like, I'm a, you know, he's got the Catholic guilt, I'm a horrible person thing going. And so now he's like, well, this kid actually thinks I'm a good person. Crap, I guess I actually have to be a good person. And I kind of think Colossus has that effect on Wade in a way that I always have found fascinating. He's like, Colossus actually believes in me, so crap, I actually have to do the right thing. Um... And the the end of the movie kind of undercuts that, but kind of doesn't. Like, what I took from Colossus's speech about heroism is kind of, his point is, you know, look, most of us are kind of fuck ups as heroes. Yeah. Like, you know, we are not like constantly being perfect. That's not the point of being a hero. The point of being a hero is, at a certain point, the chips are going to be down, and we'll see this in Deadpool two more. Um, you're going to do the right thing. Yeah. That's what it is to be a hero. It's not necessarily like, oh, I'm right, I'm perfect all the time. No one's like that. But I think, well, I, but I think, maybe like, you. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't entirely undercut it. Like I think, I think it does a really good job of like really doing a good job of threading that needle of like we're not entirely going to you know lawful good uh, neuter this uh, this character that we've been seeing sort of chaotic, uh, chaotic, chaotic uh, throughout the entire film. Um, we're going when to. Colossus condones the death of Bantu. 
That's true. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of a black mark on Colossus's record there. Yeah. So like I think it's kind of a black mark like, on everyone's record. Yeah, no, no one, one walks away from that well, there. especially yeah. Dondu. Yeah. No. So yeah, I mean the film the, the film lets uh lets Dare uh, not Daredevil, uh Deadpool have his revenge. And I think that's you know, I think it works for the movie. But like I think there's definitely, you know, it doesn't set it up as like I'm irredeemable. Oh, it doesn't set it up on. as I'm going to be entirely a Boy Scout now. It, it helps. I think it sort of keeps him. Well, especially because Deadpool, uh, Deadpool, the the Deadpool reason Deadpool gives is like, no, this guy is a monster. Like I, I don't yeah, want exactly. him running yeah, around hurting far. somebody else. Like he, he's yeah. Like I, I, the idea that he's going to run around and do to me, do to somebody else what he did to me. I can't live with myself. Like so. Like yeah, I mean, France, I, I think I think that's important too. That Francis is like so sort of sociopathically irredeemably he has he has absolutely not, no qualms about it. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't Loki where like you either maybe there's a good person inside there. This is yeah. like the Joker where it's like, no, this well, guy yeah. will go Sometimes, and hurt more people. You, you get into that this is not Loki in that he is not developed in any way the way that Loki <laughs> he, is. No, the the opening credits describe him as a British villain and that's that's pretty spot on. Yeah. 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 That's, I, mean, oh, yeah. I thought that was referencing cancer. Sir. I thought yeah, cancer the British, was the villain. British villain. Yeah, El Cancer. No, El Cancer is clearly his villain. Film. Yeah, Derek, you <laughs> oh, brought up I Gina mean, Carano, uh, and then I took you home. Yeah, off hey, well, yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, uh, I'll get back to to Gina Carano, but like to talk a little bit more about Francis. There's this interesting way in which, like, we we we've talked about how the tone of this film, it, like, you could read it as kind of a cheat. Um, and in in and the kind of you know restructuring of the of the narrative as nonlinear is also a, a kind of cheat. And in a way, like that, like credits framing of you know the British villain uh, and uh, in in Francis. I wanted to ask you guys if you thought that Francis fell into the mold of like uh, you know Marvel villain disease because I think he kind of does. And there's a way you're right. I think there's a way in which the tone of the film lets us like forgive the film for that. (laughs) Yeah, the fight in the fire really makes that clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not there's very little about him that is. He's a very two dimensional character. No, he's he's a very two dimensional character. He he exists primarily to serve a plot function. Uh. He doesn't have like he doesn't have cool George Washington hair or anything yeah. like that. But he also or he even also uncool. falls George Washington. He also He's... falls into the into like there's two main like there's two main types of boring Marvel villains I've talked about before. There's the evil CEO and there's the evil version of the hero. And he's kind and, of both, and sometimes both. <laughs> yeah, like uh, Iron Man. Like the, his background story is like he has also gone through. Uh, the process that produced that like uh, jump started uh, Wade's uh, yep. mutation, and he's now running the experiments. So they or don't necessarily. Like, he doesn't have exactly well, the same powers well, in the he, way that we often see. But uh, one thing I was thinking about, like th- that big showdown, is on like a, a scuttled, ruined um, an aircraft uh, helicarrier. It's actually supposed to be a helicarrier. Just yeah, helicarrier. enough. It's a helo carrier. I realized that, like, universe wise, they couldn't uh, interact, but, like, in terms of profession, like, what if Ajax is working with um, Vulture from uh, Homecoming? Spider Man Homecoming, who's in a a very similar sort of business. 
I'd buy that. Are you referencing Ajax from this film or Ajax from the Iliad right there? I was talking about the Iliad. I'm sorry. I should have been oh, more okay. clear. Yeah, right. yeah, I, thought yeah. I don't know I why I said Ajax. This I, I will say this about, 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 this about Ajax is that he, I mean, he, he's definitely one of the least, like a, 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 a villain with a boring personality can be compensated for by having a very interesting power set, if that makes sense. Like, you know, the, there are definitely... Yeah, like, cause like Mysterio, and, like, obviously, we'll see how Mysterio works in... in you mean, like, movie. Rain Man? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not touching that one. Uh, Mysterio is a very uninteresting character, but his... Was Rain Man the villain of that film? <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise is clearly the hero. <laughs> so not touching this. <laughs> And and but Mysterio's like power set is interesting, and Ajax's power set, as I recall, is that he has enhanced reflexes and doesn't feel pain, yeah. which which makes like, him a third tier James Bond villain. I was going to say like yeah, I, I, I like he doesn't seem like he'd be much of a challenge for like any he he doesn't seem like he'd be much of a challenge for like Hawkeye. Uh, I feel oh, like yeah, Hawkeye I mean, could take care of problem. And when to I'll give credit. I was going to say, and when the chips are down and it's time for him to have his epic final duel with Deadpool, he chooses to wield an axe, which puts him at an incredible weapon triangle disadvantage against a sword wielder. Yeah, it's not not smart. <laughs> I, I will give credit to uh, to Ed Skrine, uh for That was knowing, a Fire Emblem reference for our listeners. <laughs> for knowing exactly uh, what kind of character he is playing and what kind of film he is playing the British villain as build, yeah. and he hams it up, and he, I, I, I do not... Uh, I felt like when we watched Thor The Dark World, which is, again, very low on our list of films we've watched, uh, Christopher Eccleston, who I normally... Washington wakes. Yes, Christopher Eccleston, who I normally like, uh, gives a very lazy performance. Yes, um, that's the way to do the, most of it. That's the wig do most of the acting. Uh, Ed, Ed Skrine is not doing that. He's just not giving a performance that colors outside of the lines. Yeah, but like if you would put a no. gun, if you would put a gun to my head three hours ago before I sat down to watch Deadpool and said I have to describe who the main villain of this movie is going to be, I could not have done it. I could have described Haywire Gina. What's her name? Because I remember her. Angel. She's, Angel she's a she yeah. is a memorable character. Yeah, like. I knew that there was a main guy. I couldn't have even told you he was British. Like, I, I could not have... He is just an empty hole in this movie that I remember right now because I watched it two hours ago. Yeah. But tomorrow, I will not remember who the villain of this movie is again. Okay. I will know, maybe, I'll probably remember his name is Francis, but I will not be able to conjure that man uh, in, in my memory. One of the things that I think makes uh, Gina Carano's character... Uh, Connective here, uh, you know, beyond her performance, which is great. Like she has very few lines. Oh yes, yeah. but she's got um, a lot of presence. But, oh yeah, but she has a lot of like presence on screen, and you know, like I mean, she's got great presence. Like, she's not a great actress though. Like I've seen Haywire. Like she, she great action scenes, but like when she's actually like delivering lines, I'm, I'm not stuck. not great. Yeah, but I mean, but the action scenes are compelling, and the way the way that she's written, I mean, she's almost like a Sergio Leone villain. Like there, mm. there's mm. That, that that sort of um, like heroes uh, landing. Uh, I'm blanking on I'm blanking on the term, but like her her whole like thing, her whole tick Stand is that off. she has matches. Is that she has matches in her stoicism, mouth, right? and that becomes important oh. for the plot. 
Yeah. Uh, right. Because that's how, that's, uh, how, you know, Wade escapes from the, uh, uh mm-hmm. like, hyperbaric chamber. Yeah, yeah. The two. Um, but it's just, it's just the way, the way that she like manipulates those matches, um, is very much like, you know, uh, a character in, in one of Sergio, Sergio Leone's films or like a really great, like noir henchman will have like mm. one thing that they do. Or, or like, Peter, like Peter Lorre with his cane. Or yeah, a top tier yeah. Bond villain to go back to a metaphor yeah, yeah, that uh, yeah. that like yeah. he that Stefan used earlier. Like this is very much sort of a Jaws level performance yeah. of like you you remember that character and you know I forget yeah. that actor's name. He's not Richard necessarily Keel. Gr- Richard, Richard Keel. Keel. He's not necessarily Richard the greatest Keel. actor in the world. You but take he has that back. Presence. Excuse yeah. me. He's easily the greatest actor in Ega. <laughs> that is that's, true. That's true. not true. That My tires true. are filled with water. I will say, so uh, a, a uh, diversion, uh, because we do that occasionally. Never. Uh, the most horrifying thing I have ever seen in a movie is in Ega, and oh, it is God. when uh, the daughter meets her, yeah, meets her father in a cave and shaves him in a way that no human being should ever be shaved. Yeah. His face should have been bloody and scarred after that. But and there's it, a weird, like, Lot's daughter incest angle also it, happening throughout that. It it's makes like, me viscerally uncomfortable to watch. It's a, it's weird. It's a weird, weird thing happening there. Great flick. Seek it out. <laughs> yeah. Everyone watch, everybody, turn off the podcast. Go watch Ega right now. Yep. Then come back. Go see the great. The what's the name of the star of Ego? What's his name? Arch Hall Junior. Arch Hall Junior. Is that Moonraker? Which, Which one's one? the second one with Jaws? Moonraker. Yeah, it was Spy yeah. Who Loved Me was the first one. Is that the one where he uh, bites through the cable? Bites through the cable. He finds love. Um, he dresses up as a giant clown at like some carnival. Uh, really stretches himself in that film. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, maybe to like wrap wrap up the discussion of casting in this film. I mean, I, I think the casting is is really strong in this, like in, including Ed Grime, you know, for yeah, for, I think, for as, as much as the villain. I mean, but like, um, you know, the fact that we get, uh, you know, Morena Baccarin, you know, who's who's performant, like Great. she she keep she like foil isn't the right word and i don't even want to say she keeps up with like she's at she's at the same level as ryan reynolds in terms of like the banter yeah Yeah. oh god the delivery on that five mini lions line gets me every time five mini lions (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean uh, particularly given particularly given that like plot contrivance wise she's sort of forced into uh you know a very uh, cliche damn yeah, damsel for the last act of the film. Like she managed in the hyperbaric chamber tube. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah. That. Why is that hyperbaric chamber tube so indestructible? He throws it like five stories yeah, off that helicarrier, and helicarrier comes him even after he's a mutant. Fine. They don't know what someone's mutant power is going to be. It has yeah. to hold, you know, colossus yeah, or something. Like, oh, yeah, that's what's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if uh, up, you're gonna need. Enough. You're gonna need a. You're gonna need a bigger tube. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, very very well cast film. Yeah. I, uh, I I would like to talk about T.J. Miller and how either he was cast would, wrong or poorly written for. I, for a lot of reasons, I, I would like to not talk about T.J. Miller. You, you, you don't have to talk about T.J. Miller, Patrick. That that's <laughs> fine. Dude, say, say what you have to say about uh, T.J. Miller. I I think that. Uh, like first season Silicon Valley, T.J. Miller is hilarious. He helps carry that show. He's he's very funny at times, and I did not feel that this film was one of those times. I don't know if no. he was ad libbing 
and didn't. He, but like he that, was, there's he the, was a lot the, of bad living. There was a the the line where he says, "Hey, you're not supposed to be behind the bar." Felt like a terrible film line that would have been a good comic line mm-hmm. because no one, no bartender in a comic book is going to say that because it's extraneous and by a character you don't care about. But uh, although I guess this character does exist in it but it would look like a weird out of place line in a comic whereas in a film where we're more used to people in low quality films just narrating what is happening on screen it just feels like a poorly written line which i think is kind of emblematic of what my major criticism of this film where i would expect a deadpool film to feel like seasons one through three of arrested development where every line is a joke or there's no wasted dialogue in the film and i feel like there's a lot of that in this i will say this about Go ahead. So no, no, you go ahead, Nick. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, in the in the opening thing where they have like the joke credits, I'm assuming he's the one being referred to as comic relief. Yeah, but this yes. is not a movie that needs a comic relief because but our main he's character... also not the comic. But yeah, relief that's the a problem. Driver is. Like his, yeah, like <laughs> there are several other people who are able to hold their own as comic relief alongside Deadpool, mm. Al, uh, Depender, mm. but but he isn't, and a lot of his lines really fall flat. Like, there's that exchange where like they're first meeting again after it, and like he has like he describes Deadpool's appearance as an avocado, an avocado yeah. that's been fucked by another avocado, and yeah. then like the line about. Something, something wrong. Uh, Freddy Krueger, Freddy Krueger, and uh, and a topographic yeah. map of Utah. And neither of those lines, at least in my opinion, land at all. Well, they're not well delivered. They're not funny. I don't know what they're like. He's he's there as comic relief, but he's never he never adds anything. In let's my let's play a little game. Actually, I, I think this actually leads into what I was saying very nicely. Yeah. Um, I mentioned, I kind of half mentioned earlier something about how like Colossus is a very important character in this movie, and that he without if you took Colossus out of this movie, I feel like you lose a lot. Yeah, like you know, yeah. and not just plot wise, but like he adds a lot of thematic, etc., mm. etc. Yeah, he's a reflection of, of the good side of Deadpool, right. and sort of verifies that it exists. What happens yeah. if you remove Weasel? Which is from necessary this movie? with Francis. I think if you mm-hmm. remove Weasel from the movie, you maybe lose like one piece of connective tissue in the plot, which is just how Ajax finds Vanessa, or Francis And you gotta Vanessa. give the title line to, to a new character, yeah, but you, explanation. You, you don't lose character. anything thematically in and, the character. Yeah. And, and, and like those aren't, plot-wise, those are things that I, seem fairly easy to be written around. Yeah. Like you, oh, it's, yeah. There's like, these days we don't even explain where superhero names came, come from. They just mm-hmm. yeah. start having them. I, and I mean, and, it, it, you can you can deal with. Uh, they don't explain the Sonic teenage warhead. Yeah, right, like, and, and Ajax, thing, is, yeah. Ajax is a mercenary who works for a secret cabal of weapons dealers. They have ways of finding people. The only thing that I'll, I'll give to the the Weasel character is I do think we like Weasel and the bar that Weasel is in are one in the same in the film to me. Like Weasel yes. is of the setting. And Weasel provides a voice to being in the setting, which does contextualize who Wade was prior to uh, kind of the story that we see being told here. That's yeah, not to say I... that Weasel himself is interesting, but you need, if you are going to have that bar as a setting in the film, which does characterize Wade, you need a bartender. You need some character in the bar that Wade can interact. Yeah, and I think but, in that con- does... there's a moment in. I think in that context he works, but like there's several times where we take him out of the bar. Yeah. Like when he he and uh, Wade go to Vanessa's strip club to track her down, he there is absolutely no value added to him being in that sequence. Yep. 
But well, I also there's a couple, think that TJ there's a couple of attempts at joke lines for him, and again, none of them land. Yeah, I there's a moment. I think, I think what Dude is trying to say is that TJ Miller doesn't bring anything to the party. Well, specifically that he doesn't fulfill the role that you just described of the bartender being the bar. At no point do I feel like he is the one in control of that space. It never feels like he owns it or that he has been here, been there the longest. Yeah, or that he is the one carrying the power. He always feels like he looks like he's younger than most of the patrons, and mm-hmm. he also like that that very timid line about that's a new stool. Like yep. he's not. It, it doesn't feel like. His, this is this is his domain. He's not Winston from um, John Wick. Like yeah. you get the impression, like Winston from John, the owner of John, the owner of the, ho- of the hotel and John Wick. Like if you try to like cross him, like obviously he can have you killed. But like you, you get the impression that like if you try to fist fight Winston and John Wick, it's not the smartest idea in the world. But yeah, like we don't get, like a you don't get that with you don't get that with T.J. Miller. Like and again, like that or. Um, you know, when when all of the mercs, like, take out their guns and defend him and he sort of sheepishly thanks them, that, like, it doesn't even necessarily ring true there, like, this idea that they all have this, like, protective... Well, there's a moment... feeling toward him. Like, if that... Maybe that could be what you develop, that he's, like, the mascot of the bar, the butt monkey that everybody loves. But, like, even that doesn't feel real. Like, yeah, yeah, the bar is important and the character there, but, like, they don't make that... He doesn't well, like, work, and I'm not even sure. Like, it's been a while since I watched the first season of uh, of Silicon Valley, but I always felt like he was he was the weak link in that uh, in that show. Yeah, I mean, like, he was he, better early on, but like he never seemed as I, I necessary. Even even like pushing aside his like current uh, uh, travails and whatnot. Um, mm. That's a not the right word, but whatever. You know, yeah. he is. He's a fucking he, asshole. He's an asshole. He's an asshole. He's a sexual abuse abusive asshole. Yeah. Um, he, I just don't know what, because because actually I think you made a good point, dude, when you pointed out that he's credited as the comedic. What what's the phrase the um that you use that comic relief? Yeah, like literally everyone in this movie is making jokes constantly. Like you don't need a comic relief, um, and so therefore and you have one specific character who does it better. I think the cab driver is, yeah. is the comic foil. And for Al, the comic I think lead. Al, I think it was also a good foil, comic yeah. foil to yeah, okay. uh, him. And and like, but but the point being, like, then if okay, if he's not the comic relief, who is he? If you still want someone to represent the bar, if the point is he stands in for the bar, you know, he can be. There's there's any number of different characters that can be this sort of master of the bar, like Winston. That from again, Winston from from John Wick is another example of this kind of character. Here's so an idea. What if? What if it's Vanessa? What if Vanessa is the bartender? Mm. I Ooh. think that works better. I think I Actually, think like yeah. I think the back yeah. and forth, the sort of witty repartee between them would work better. I don't think there's any necessity for her to be a sex worker here. Mm. I don't think there's a, and and you still have sort of the you know uh, uh, Francis and Angel like burst into the bar because they know that's where Wade works and like they they like are trying to strong arm Vanessa is like I don't know who that fucking guy is and then they like find that she is the one who has a photo of Wade there because she still feels strong about that. I think that could work better. And I think Marina Baccarin has sort of the presence to sort of credibly feel like she owns that bar. Like I could yeah. imagine Marina Baccarin going, "Fuck you, that is a new stool. Put that down." instead of and then somebody listening and choosing an old stool and hitting somebody yeah. over the head with that, that would, which would be a better that would have been would hilarious be yes <laughs> all good points 
Yeah, I, and I, and I, that would have added some money to the film's incredibly cash-strapped budget. Yeah, mm. cut cut T.J. Miller. He is unnecessary. Yeah, I also find it very frustrating to watch the entire act where uh, he's not going to see uh, his fiance because he's waiting to get healed before he reveals his Yeah, his, this is a this is a thing that I wanted features. to talk about. Like his motivation for keeping away and it like I think there's an argument to be made that it's more than just his appearance, that there's more going on there than just I mean that. he said but specifically think, I'm yeah, messed up but inside. I think in the in the text of the movie, I think it's very easy to read it as it's just I'm too ugly for her. And I understand there's limits on like the kind of makeup you can do, but like at no point while seeing him in his sort of scarified post post uh, experimentation phase do I go, well, that's a face that no one can love. Despite T.J. Miller absolutely knocking out of the park with that avocado metaphor, at no point do I go, yeah, no one's gonna love Ryan Reynolds anymore. Certainly not the woman who already fucking loves him. Have you guys ever seen um? The movie I the I Frankenstein movie with Aaron Eckhart. Uh, no, no, I've not. It's it's not a very good. Can it's, I, it's... Can, yeah, can I can I ask a follow up question? Why did you think we would have? I remember <laughs> watching some trailers and going like, I might see that. You guys watch bad. You watch five bad movies too. Anyway, yeah. one one of the one thing that bugs me in it is you know at one point they kind of Aaron Eckhart as Frankenstein's monster goes. Mine is a face that no one could love. And I'm like, no, you're still objectively Aaron Eckhart. You just have a few scars. Yeah. yeah. And like, and I, I haven't, I, it's been a long time since I've seen that trailer. I imagine that probably Wade looks worse than that. I also remember like a decade ago, there was a, um, Beauty and the Beast. A Beauty and the Beast one with like a guy with yeah, like some like really sexy, scar. sexy brooding scarification. Like it was, it was some grody tattoos. scarring, but he, he had was tattoos. Still a, it was just tattoos. It was, he just had tattoos. Yeah. Such a beast. <laughs> but but yeah, I like again, like I think I think there's a way to sell that as like I need I need closure on this. I need uh like I'm not I'm not the man that she knew. I need to make myself whole. But it just feels like I I'm I'm hideous and they're like ah, you, I think I think you've uh, been badly Tycho. burned, but you're still Ryan Reynolds, and we've already firmly established that she is deeply in love with you and will absolutely take you back like I mean, I, it never it never seems like a real idea that like if he actually had the guts yeah. to do it, it there would be any problem. I, I, feel, I feel like there's the sub- and maybe that's a very sub-text... rom-commy kind of a thing yeah, rom-coms I mean, that... often involve some sort of ridiculous problem that if anybody if anybody mm-hmm. just fucking talked to the other person we could resolve this issue right away We're talking so in terms of it actually being a rom-com do. romance sort of a thing Maybe that's accurate, but, but I, I, feel, I feel like there's the subtext in the situation is obvious enough that calling it out may, may be unnecessary. But like you can talk about how how he is internally and how messed up he is. You can also talk about the overwhelming guilt that he feels for abandoning her in the first place. Like there, there's a lot that you could read into I, that. The film again, but like, I wish the, I so wish heavily. the film didn't make me have to read it. I wish there was at least some acknowledgement that. Because again, I think in terms of the actual lines that he says, it feels like it's always. Just, where would the? Where I'm would so he, hideous. Where would the? Where who? Where would be the place to make this implicit explicit? Like, wh- well, who do you he think does he say at one Al. point that he's messed up inside. At the end, he's not film. ready to go. Al would yeah, be a good back. place to do. it. I think Al is. Al, I think yeah, Al actually, Al is the correct character. Al, Al is kind of an underused character in the film. Al is underused, I, and I think there is sort of a there. There certainly seems to be, you know, I got the impression some, that. 
she probably had scenes cut for time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would. But yeah, I would say Al. Maybe Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Like that could she be. She could have worked actually. Yeah. Like I think also you know not as underused because I think she's very effectively used. But like I think you know mm-hmm. that could be that could be sort of a useful. A useful yeah. uh, area to expand there. Yeah, there could just be a moment where, like, you know, they're talking and, you know, maybe Negasonic Warhead, like, calls him on his shit. It was like, oh, fuck you. You're fucking Ryan Reynolds. You'll, uh, sh- she'll love you still. And then, fun. you know, and, and then, like, Colossus and him and Negasonic have the sort of the conversation. Yeah. Cool. All right. Any, uh, any other kind of meaty topics folks want to get into before? I want to know about, about this fidget toy that uh, oh, yeah, has, because thing- it is mesmerizing. <laughs> what is happening uh, here? Well, I do- no, fuck you, I- Stefan. I don't care about your fidget toy. I want to know about Patrick's I do toy. have a fidget cube at my office. Um, I use it during meetings. This was a gift for my younger brother, James, uh, who, oh, don't let me, We need- before we hang up, I have to show you guys the Christmas gift he got me because you guys will all flip. But this was a uh, stocking stuffer from him, and it's just, as cool. you can see, yeah, very nice. Fire yeah, fresh. I, makes it easier for me because, as you know, I I fidget a lot, so it's just easier for me. Yeah. All right, Stefan, would you like to talk Visual about the fidget cube? No, I don't, I don't right. feel like it measures up. Let's just move on to final thoughts. <laughs> All right. I I loved this film the first time I saw it, I, and I still think it's very funny. But I also this was at least the third time I watched it, and I I feel like it's going to fall long term closer to the rest of the X-Men films than it does to a high-quality MCU film, because I, I feel like there's just a lot of wasted dialogue and a lot of wasted screen time that they they could have done a few more passes on the script uh, and, and really uh, shifted some of the, the focuses away from uh, stuff that was either explaining what was going on screen or uh, jokes that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but so I, I don't mean to end on a bad note because I do oh. actually really enjoy the film and I like you know all the performances and the whole tone they they did a perfect capturing of uh, or a perfect balance between the crassness of the character and then using that crassness in a, a love context but also to play around more with like the sexuality of the protagonist uh, more so than probably any other uh, Marvel film before this. No, uh, no. T- tell me which but... one comes close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, if I recall, uh, Daredevil well, the Wolverine character is, is I mean, one of the he's, blades, he's pretty blade openly too? in love with Cyclops, right? I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's standard the Wolverine. Daredevil, right? the, yeah. the theatrical cut of Daredevil, they explicitly do bone. All right. Okay. But I mean, like, uh, uh, Deadpool is comfortable enough in his sexuality that there that you could almost describe him as bicurious or bisexual in the film. That I mean he's he's flat out is. He is, he is pansexual. Like he's yeah. he's very explicitly pansexual, I think. But that is not very explicit in the film. No, there it, I'll grant you that. I'll grant you that. Yeah. And I feel like this is this is the uh the first MC or you know Marvel film where there's been any kind of like blurring of that line. <laughs> there's been there has been even a hint that gay people exist, yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I wonder if one of the X-Men films... Well, I guess technically this is an X-Men film. Anyway, Derek Hall, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, gay I... now, but not in the films. <laughs> I, I think this film uh, holds up uh, pretty well to uh, the first time I saw it. I think it's a, an interesting example of 
Um, the kind of film we don't really get all that often, and certainly in the in the Marvel canon, of uh, basically like a mid-budget like program film, like. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, like $60 million is nothing for this kind of film. No. And um, it, it would be interesting to kind of dive into, you know, some more, you know, if evidence, you know, through production documents in this film ever ends up in an archive, you know, 40 years from now, it would be fascinating to see some of the, like, constraints and choices that that budget um, kind of forced, right? I mean, yeah, it's we do know one thing, actually. the The mm-hmm. bit where he forgets his guns in the uh, car and has is forced to fight without them was actually caused by the fact that their budget was slashed partially through making it, yeah. and so they actually had to write the gag of him forgetting his guns in the car because they had to write a whole new fight scene where you he did not have an extra scene of that Perfect. scale. Yeah, that, that, yeah, so that's that that like think, that explicitly happened. Yeah. And I think that's yeah, a great and, example of the ways that these kinds of uh, constraints often lead to you know more interesting filmmaking. Yeah. Sorry, and, Derek, and, but... uh, like like again, I, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if the the nonlinear uh, kind of structure uh, or you know sort of frame for this in the in the first act. Um, happened relatively late as a solution to some sort of problem. Like, I mean, one advantage that, you know, just it seems sort of obvious is that they can kind of extend out that fight scene throughout the first, you know, third of yeah, the I film. I don't think so. that fight scene resolves until maybe halfway through the film. Like, I think yeah. by the time he is going back to Blind Owls, I think we are more than halfway through the film. So it, in some ways, it's a really economical way to buy you action for the first half of uh, the film that, uh, you know, might otherwise have been sparser or, you know, it, maybe it cuts down on having to do another kind of big action sequence. Um, but it's just, it's, it, it's clear that the, a lot of the choices in this film were the result of, you know, creative solutions to constraints and, and problems. And that's just something you don't, you don't see in these Marvel films when, you know, they're given $200 million budgets. Mm, yeah. Before we go to Nick Bester's final thoughts, dude, you had one more point you wanted to make? Yeah, I I feel like I'd be remiss if I don't bring up the the scene that I, I felt rather awkward uh, noticing this, but do you recall uh, any people of color in the film? Wow. Dopender. Okay. Dopender. Uh, do you two. remember the bar scene? Oh, well, Br- Brooks or Booth? Yeah, Booth, but... the guy that yeah, like... uh, Butch gets his drink, and then there's a fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and a, a room full of, like, rednecky-looking white dudes uh, beat a black man unconscious so that they have to check his breathing to see if he's still alive, and then all of the people are upset to find out that he still is alive? That felt very awkward. I, I'd probably read more into that if Depender and Al were not significant supporting characters in the film. Yeah. There might be something to be said about that, but I don't know what it is. That's a fair uh, point. It, I, it just it, it struck me as an odd moment in an otherwise pre, pretty like evenly handed film, just because it, it was. Uh, I feel like he was the only person of color in that fight. That may have <laughs> but been. I don't know. I, I'd have I, to watch. Yeah, that. I, I, I have to rewatch. I, 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 I have to rewatch, yeah. and I don't feel. I cannot comment without a solid yeah. memory of it. To be fair. Yeah, I know. It just felt like an awkward scene to me. Anyway, all right, all right, Bester, have you got your X Files episodes queued up? <laughs> I think I I'm trying to figure out what the name of it is. D- uh, dude, the one with the uh, 
the African. Uh, I knew that was the one you were going to bring up. That was uh, pretty good. Like, come on an airplane and is stealing. I, th- the I think it's the second people. episode of a season, but I don't remember which one it is. I it's think it like might be Teleco. Five. I'm looking at. I think it's Teleco or Teleco. I'd, I'd I'm have looking to look at a list the, of. Uh, uh, it's probably. But, but I'm it's like, probably like, pronounced Teleco. <laughs> It's probably, probably not like I'm going to say, looking at this list, this is Vulture's list of the 10 worst uh, X-Files, or the 10 most embarrassing X-Files episodes. And I will say it's very clear that they have a big problem whenever they do something with, like, quote-unquote ethnic uh, mythologies. Because we've got Tesos Desbichos that you talk about. There's there's the a Voodoo episode. There's I knew uh, the, the, hell, the Hell Money episode, which involves B.D. Wong, like, explaining to... Uh, it's ex- the triad. It's the triad. Yeah, it's the triad. It's very much like what happens in Chinatown stays yeah, in Chinatown it's... episode, where, like, you white people sure can't come Chinatown. in here and explain how our Chinese ghosts work. Uh, it is Teleco. Teleco. Oh, and there's the one with the... What's the name of the the little the little person who played the Oompa Loompas in the Johnny Depp? Deepak Roy as, like, a guy on a, like, on a board rolling around, and he's getting inside people's colon and controlling them as, like, a puppet? That's an episode of the X-Files? Sounds like a great show. Sounds like a classic. Aren't I... I don't actually know, but aren't these like actual like myths and and spirits? I think I think I think sort of a there's a sort of a yeah something like this exists, but none of it is handled well. Like there's ways to use these ideas, these mythologies. These I'm, I'm gonna urban I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that they're probably not handled that much worse than most of the general plot structures of X Files episodes. Yes, it's a pretty crazy fa- show when it comes to like like execution versus intention or like any kind of overarching meaning at the end yes but also like outside of mr x and skinner's boss for a while like i think the only times that people of color show up in the x-files are these episodes Mm. so that doesn't help either to go back uh, a little to your point as uh that you were making earlier yeah. To, to, to talk about Deadpool, I wouldn't say I, I was making was a, a point. I was just observing something that seemed no, that's fair. making up uh, to me. Yeah, I, I, this was the second time I watched Deadpool. Uh, I enjoyed it when I saw it in theaters. I enjoyed it this time. Uh, yeah, I think it has has some problems. You know, I think you know a lot of the time while watching these movies, it's been like I remember enjoying this movie, and this time I'm sort of seeing some of the seams. I'm seeing sort of where some of the paint has come off. Um, and I think, you know, at the time, and I realize we're only talking like three years ago um, next month. It's been but a at long the time, yeah, but 2017 and 2018 were two of those years, and that's like <laughs> 10 years ago. I mean, it's I think 2016 was also years. a long fucking year. We've had, we've lived through about a decade and a half in the last three years. Uh, but but the beginning of 2016 seems like an, an incredibly long time ago. If you had asked me to guess what year this had come out, I probably would have guessed like 2013. I thought it was 2015. Yeah. Like that. Anyway, but like, I think like a lot of what it was doing at the time sort of maybe feels more novel now than uh, than than now. But again, yeah, I think it's good. Um, I was going to ask. So we talked a little bit about Green Lantern. We talked a little bit about Hannibal King and the other version of Deadpool that we saw. I'm trying to remember. R.I.P.D. Rhode Island Police Department was. <laughs> <laughs> 
was that a comic book movie? A, was that a comic book movie? I think it was. And B, did that come out before or after Deadpool? So I it is not Rhode Island Peace Department. Police Department, it's right? Before. And it is a comic book film. Before. It's like three years before Deadpool. Yeah, it was okay. 2016, well, so it was, was as was, he was on his way down. Yeah, I was just trying to think, like, how many times, uh, how many, what at bat this was for Ryan Reynolds in terms of comic book movies. It's at least his fifth. Are there I any other? It sounds com- like it would have been a Dark Horse comic or something. I think it was Dark, it was Horse. Comic yeah, book. Dark Horse. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at it right now. It's a comic book. Yeah. Rhode Island. It, it is Dark Horse. You are correct. It, it feels like it a Dark feels Horse, like comic, a Dark Horse comic. Like, um, it's not it's not already enough to be Vertigo. It sounds very Dark Horse nineties yeah. comic. Uh, are there any other on his filmography? I'm just curious. Like, none, is this is... none that immediately jump out? Like, I'm okay. scan. I'm scanning the titles of his films. Yeah. And so, I mean, none... this is this is uh, uh, two least... guys, a girl, in a pizza place was based on uh, on a Superman comic, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, it's um, the one where Jimmy Olsen and Lex Luthor open that pizza parlor together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would I would watch the shit out of that with uh, Lana <laughs> Lang, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so anyway, so I mean, this is his fifth at bat, and what's his second best superhero movie before that? I think it might be his role as Hannibal King. I think that's his second best. I think that's easily his second best performance. Well, we yeah. haven't seen R.I.P.D. That's, that's true. true. Have any of us seen Rhode Island Police Department? That is not mm. the title of that film. And what else could R.I.? R.I. is the established uh, the acronym for Rhode Island. I defy you to tell me what else R.I. Rest needs. in. <laughs> police rest department? In rest in yeah. police department? Rest that doesn't make any department. sense. No, rest in peace department. I, I know. Anyway, um, but yeah, you know, I think is it's that, a, is that actually what it stands for? Rest I believe it is. It's about it's about ghost police. I think well, ghost yeah. police doing What's kind the, of a Men yeah. in Black uh, ripoff sort of thing, right? They're essentially yes. they're essentially the Men in Black of the ghost world. Yeah, is, I, I thought that was the Ghostbusters. <laughs> no, the Ghostbusters are private contractors. No, yeah, yeah, not, not Ghostbusters are probably also, closer to. Are you suggesting that the Men in Black are not mercenaries of some sort? Well, Men in Black are government agency. The Ghostbusters aren't trying to hide anything. They want to be as public as shit because they're trying to market. Because, yeah, they have very yeah. little market. Well, well, on this side, what about on the ghost side? No. <laughs> aren't they keeping the ghosts from knowing that like, the human world God still exists? EPA. Um, Patrick, anyway, I like it. Thoughts? I don't know. <laughs> that's, 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 that's my final thought. Also, I liked it, and the X-Files wasn't very good at race. Those are my final thoughts. <laughs> Got it. Patrick. Also, that goddamn second episode that uh, William Gibson I will wrote, murder you, Nick. It was, so <laughs> it was so bad. Like, is that the, Mulder, is that the RPG, Mulder. the VR one? The VR. Yeah, that's the one like, where Mulder, Mulder, and shooter. the three, the the lone gunman yeah. are suddenly super into video games, despite that not being a character trait of any of them. How? Excuse me, but the, you were not going to tell me that none of the lone gunmen were into video games. They are allowed to have that character trait. Patrick, you don't have your to final thoughts. Mulder? Mulder is not into video games. That is clearly not a thing. But he is super into video games in that goddamn episode. Patrick, your final thought. Kill Switch is a great episode, though. The first episode he wrote, that was a really good one. I don't know. Oh, what yeah. is my final thought, Nick? <laughs> Patrick Nick, loves Kill Switch. Reclaim your time. Um... F- fuck you, Master. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that Law and Order has been on for so long that 
for Law and Order SVU has been no, on no, for no, so no. long no, no, that, no, 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 no. That, that they need to do an entire <laughs> season that is all guest written. Each episode is guest written by a famous writer, like a Stephen King. Or William Gibson. Stephen King episode is pretty mediocre too. Dude, yes, we, it we, is. We've, That's what we've, I'm we've, ta- we've definitely talked about this on the podcast before. We really got to get Patrick's final thought. We can't oh, I've go talked about talk my SVU about idea. I just yes. want to see it get done. Patrick. First person shooter is the name of the X Files episode. I have. In I mind. said that it's before. Oh, I apologize. Can you please mute these two? Um, <laughs> so the thing I actually really love about this movie um, is that. There was a world where instead of this movie, uh, instead of giving us Colossus as the moral center and giving us this sort of personal grounding character in Vanessa, they really leaned into, you know, the comedic aspects of it, the fourth wall breaking aspects of it. You know, Deadpool is a is he's not a very well known character, but among comic book fans, he's a very popular character. And he is popular largely for sort of that sort of like he's he's kind of a Looney Tunes character that got turned into a superhero in a lot of ways. And there was a world where they kind of leaned into that aspect, the part that everyone seems to really, really like, the Looney Tunes cartoon characters, Falmouth Looney Tune. And I just gotta say I'm so so glad they didn't, because I think that would have been a much weaker movie, one that I would not have enjoyed nearly as much. And I think it would have been a mistake. And I, I, I actually do genuinely want to give it to the filmmakers, the writer, director, probably Ryan Reynolds himself had a hand in this, in understanding that we do get Deadpool, the foul-mouthed Looney Tune in this. You know, we do get jokes about um, uh, Stewart or McAvoy. I can't keep the timeline straight. We do get the, the dumb jokes about him having a tiny hand that he masturbates with. And but at the same... Some animated animals. Yes, ex- yes, and but like they 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 understood, and I and I just I I hope this is something that is understood by other writers and filmmakers going forward. That you can to do that, you have to have those grounding characters. You know, you have to have you have to understand why I care. You know, so that we can have these zany hijinks. Because otherwise, like you know, I I don't think I could have watched this movie for more than about twenty minutes. If it had just been Deadpool, the the violent Looney Tune, like I think I would have gotten bored really fast. Um, and so I think that you know I hope, you know it, I, I, if I had a hope for the future from this movie, I hope that filmmakers when they look at this movie take that lesson because I think it's a very very important lesson to have um, is that you need that you need to give me a reason to give a crap or it doesn't matter how funny the character is I. I, I will check out. Yeah. And, and I think it's I think this is the type of movie that it's very easy for producers to take the wrong lesson from. And I don't, it doesn't seem like we've had like a rash of like hyper violent uh, superhero movies since then. I mean, I think Logan's the only other R rated superhero movie we've had since since this, right? Or Deadpool two. Yeah, um, and, and um, even w- when we get to it, we'll we'll go over it. But Deadpool two is doing something very different. That I. I Going back on this, not to get into Deadpool 2, but going back to this film, um, watching it, I was shocked at how different a film Deadpool 2 is. It is a radically different film. And not not in a bad way, but it's just very different. Okay. Um, I look forward to watching it. Yep. Uh, my, my final thoughts on this film are, uh, this is actually one that uh, 
my wife and I have come back to with some regularity for whatever reason. It's an easy, it's an easy watch for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I come back to it, to, to Patrick's point, the, the zany Looney Tunes stuff doesn't stick with me. Like it's fun. I laugh. Ha ha ha. Uh, but the, the fact that the film actually does have a heart at the center of it, um, makes this one that I can come back to without it just feeling, um, you know, like a silly superfluous thing. Uh, I, uh, think that it was very, very effectively uh, set up and executed the relationship between uh, Wade and Vanessa and the way that that carries through as a thematic through line that the film keeps coming back to. Um, and to, to Patrick's point, it didn't have to be that way. Uh, it would have been very easy to make this film um, and count on the idea that it's a superhero movie that'll bring him in and it's an X-Men movie that'll bring him in and we can just be goofy. Uh, and the fact that that extra time and care was put into making this a film that does have a backbone, that does have a thematic core to it, uh, I think really comes through in the final product. And it makes it clear the degree to which this was a you know, something that people put love into. And you know, I mentioned at the start of the podcast, this was a film that was in development for 12 years with Ryan Reynolds attached to it for 12 years. And the only reason that it ultimately got made was because Ryan Reynolds and a couple of people that he collected around him refused to let it die even Mm -hmm. after his career basically had. Didn't they Um, have to leak the trailer just to get... uh... They leaked test footage, yeah. 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 Um, Patrick, you're muted. We can't hear you. uh, No, your your Google Hangouts is muted. Um, I don't know when that happened, but... Yeah, it's very weird. Um, but the, the idea of the actor and the writers getting to spend this much time with the film, this much time with the character and really putting their heart into it, um, and crafting a story that does have that core to it, uh, I think really comes through. And this is not the film that we had to get, uh, but I'm glad it's the one we got. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick, did you want to go back to whatever point you were about to make? Um, I don't remember what it was, and I don't think it was actually all that interesting. So, okay. Yeah. I wanted to actually circle back to a question I had about uh, Stefan's final point. You, you were talking about sort of uh, the way that this could be sold and, like, like resting on the laurels and it being an X-Men movie. Do we think this is, like, can this movie be sold as an X-Men movie? I, and I don't remember, like, I remember a lot of the advertising campaign, and, like, it's clearly set in that universe, yeah. but, like, we're dealing with, we have the X-Jet, and we have Colossus, like, a, in the comics, a pretty significant one, but in the films, I think he's, I'm not, has he had a, I think he was a very minor Maybe part of lines, uh, X-2. In Last Stand, uh, and Negasonic Warhead, who, or, yeah, um, uh, who, uh, has not I appeared. know because she was used in the Joss Whedon run of uh, of uh, of X Men, but I think other than that, Stop. is like a a D or E list uh, yeah. mutant before I, I, this. I don't think I don't think you could take this film as it is and package it and sell it as an X Men film. But I'm saying if I am a producer before this film was made, oh, there's yeah, a yeah. temptation to say this is a property we can sell it as an X Men film. And if you do that, uh, okay. yeah, yeah, maybe bring right, yeah. it I, I, enough I, to you, be profitable okay. and low enough budget. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking of it in terms of like the post the post production advertising, no, no, but like no, no, no. selling it like that would be like obviously they were big on sort of the 
inaccurate advertising of like tell your girlfriend this is a uh, a romantic comedy and trick her into seeing the film. Yep. Uh, which with a title like Deadpool, how is that gonna how is that not gonna work? So good. Um, but yeah, I was just trying to think like if they tried to sell this as an X Men movie, like maybe if they threw in an actual cameo from Wolverine with. There's a thing in the opening where they talk about superfluous cameo or something like that, mm-hmm. and I couldn't remember if Wolverine does actually show up or he, not. No, the gratuitous he, cameo he, is Stan Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, Stan Lee, I, I, and, my, and and also the cart, the cutout of of Hugh Jackman himself. Yes. But I my, couldn't remember if. Uh, my understanding is that it was a scheduling thing more than anything. Like it's not like Hugh Jackman has any particular issue about cameoing in a Deadpool movie. He no. he and Ryan Reynolds are friends, as far as I know. Like they they or if they're not like they're not like friends friends but they're friendly with each other so like it's yeah. it's more just like a you know just scheduling is a butt. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I, no, I've I read didn't... your online fan fiction. I I, yep. I know that you uh, believe. Oh, they're <laughs> they're more than friends. The, this is the uh, this is my favorite poster for Deadpool oh, yeah. right here. Oh yeah, that's a great one. Now, <laughs> uh, Patrick, I, just just for clarification, is it? Real person fan fiction between Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds that you write, or is it Deadpool Wolverine? It's Deadpool is... Hugh Jackman. Oh okay. no, it's a it's Deadpool Wolverine. However, I lean heavily into the fact that Deadpool is aware that he is played by Ryan Reynolds and that Wolverine's uh, played by Hugh Jackman. Got it. So it can kind of blend, but in Players. general, Hugh yeah. Jackman is huge. It's Wolverine insofar as he acts like and believes he's Wolverine, but Ryan Reynolds will switch. Yeah, it's slash uh, slash slash. It's I also call. I want I want to take this opportunity to to uh, advertise my upcoming fanfic, which is about Green Lantern and P.T. Barnum. <laughs> the greenest show on earth Phineas Taylor Barnum <laughs> well that's the title now yeah there you go the greenest showman, greenest showman. Uh, um, okay. I love, my favorite thing about Hugh Jackman is that he's clearly in a very kind of um, he, he's very much just he wanted to be a song and dance man and got oh, yeah. got uh, shanghaied by uh, by the uh, by the Wolverine role and doing this for the last twenty years. Hollywood, it's like Jimmy very, uh, Hollywood. Yeah, Jimmy. Ca- I was trying to think. It was like J- he's a very James Cagney trajectory of like he just wanted to be a song and dance man, and everybody loved him as this one character type. <laughs> All right, so we we are uh, we are going to be going next from a uh, low budget film, that, or a relatively low budget film uh, by Hollywood standards, mid budget film that made a lot of money uh, with very few characters and an unknown property, to a very high budget film that made a lot more money with a lot more characters. Uh, the next film that we're watching is Captain America: Civil War. All right. Which will be the first time I've seen that since theaters, aka Avengers two point five. Avengers two point five. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's absolutely an Avengers movie. I, I, that, that, that is one of the few I think in this stretch where I've seen it uh, since seeing it in theaters, and I thought I liked it a lot more on second viewing. I, I found it frustrating in theaters, but we'll see. We'll talk about it more yeah, in six in six months when we release our next episode. Ah, no, we're doing good. We, uh, no, we did we're, one in we're, December. We're, we're doing one in January. We're going monthly now. I was willing yeah. to back out so we could go monthly again it's just a good luck fortune that we all managed to make this work did i not did i have to do it without actually having seen deadpool recently yes but we weren't going to bring that up until i admitted it just now we should have we should have had him do the plot he was actually doing a really good job of it you should have noticed at the point where i was doing the plot where i literally said please someone save me because i don't remember what happens after this scene 
Yeah. I I remember you saying that. I had forgotten that. Yeah, yes, of course we talked about it in the text, but I had forgotten that you have not seen this recently. Good job, Patrick. Hooray! Well, I'm didn't, sorry. He for... didn't confirm that he wasn't going to ha- have time. He just thought he wasn't. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know for certain that he hadn't seen it until just now. Yeah, I would also like to apologize for talking about the exile so much. Also, when talking about Hugh Jackman just now, I used the phrase Shanghai, which cannot be a PC term. I apologize for that as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Also, why would I use that phrase? Who uses the phrase Shanghai? How did that, where did that come from? Are you secretly an immortal from the 19th century? No, he just recently watched Shanghai Nights. Ah. (laughs) Have... Was it? I I remember admitting this to, to somebody. I can't remember if it was you all that I only recently realized the pun in the title Shanghai. <laughs> it was us. Yeah, that was to us. <laughs> yes. That was us. Yes. That was us. <laughs> we for some reason had a conversation about Shanghai dude, and it just dawned on me. Oh, I dude, I get it. Now. I believe that I was explaining because you couldn't remember which one comes first, and I said oh. it's because Shanghai Nights is a pun on Shanghai Noon. But Shanghai Noon is a pun that exists outside of this film series. Yes. Like, and it was only when on you said that that thing. I finally put it together. Yes. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, good job, everyone. War of the Coprophages is the best episode of the X-Files. For, for Small Potatoes. Where... Small Potatoes is Small better potatoes. than War of the Coprophages. Mm. I mean... Uh, what we are going to have to beg to differ on this, but everyone go out and, and see everything that. Uh, oh, what's the guy who wrote War of the Coprophages? Darren and... Morgan. Darren Morgan. Darren Morgan. He also wrote uh, uh, Clyde creature. Buckman's Clyde Buckman's last uh, last Bruckman. repose, final repose, Clyde Bruckman's repose, Clyde Bruckman's final repose, and the uh, uh, with the curse of the Wear creature. Yeah, like and... and the uh, lost art of forehead sweat. Yes, and oh, what's the what's the really weird one with uh, like the alien Humbug. abductions? No, the other one, like his last one in season three. Uh, oh, uh, Jose Chung's from Outer Space. Jose Chung's from Outer Space. All those episodes are fantastic. Uh, yeah, to your point about not being able to read a lot into plot details from the title of X Files episodes. <laughs> no, no, there's he a couple of them where like episodes. There's a couple of them where like I is very the good. word from the title, like so I remember what syzygy. Chris means Carter from, not like, so good at titling his episodes. Yeah. I learned what syzygy means from the words from the episode syzygy, so I remember that's a good, what the episode that episode syzygy. has Ryan Reynolds in it. Does it? Oh yes, shit! It does. Oh, it does. Oh my god! That is that is some real. Sy- Synchronicity. That's uh, uh, the police album. That's synchronicity yes. too. All right, ding. cut the episode there. Synchronicity. Ding. Hit the bell. <laughs>